Through their investment in the Minnesota Corn Checkoff, corn growers are fueling research and initiatives that build a more sustainable future for farmers and all Minnesotans. The Minnesota Corn Podcast introduces you to the individuals who are shaping future ag practices, identifying new markets, and promoting agriculture with the non-farming public. Our guests for this episode both work for the University of Minnesota. Jamie Mosel is an extension educator with a focus on climate resilience through the university's Climate Adaptation Partnership. Nate Meyer is co-director of the partnership and has been with Extension for about 20 years. Well, thank you both for allowing us some time to learn about a pretty fascinating project uh, involving Minnesota corn. Nate, let's start with you. What does this project consist of? Yeah, let me uh, just step back a little bit more broadly and start by sharing that Jamie and I both work with the University of Minnesota Climate Adaptation Partnership and our team of both research faculty at the university and extension education faculty collaborate to help Minnesota individuals, businesses, and communities strengthen their capabilities to stay resilient and thrive under the changing climate conditions that we've already committed to. Because even if we were able to stop any kind of greenhouse gas or other climate changing emissions today, we still have um, decades of climate change that we've already committed to. We know that agriculture in Minnesota, including corn production, generates over $100 billion in total economic impacts and supports over 400,000 jobs across Minnesota. So certainly one of our interests is in supporting Minnesota's agricultural community and especially corn growers in adapting to stay resilient under the changing climate. And so what we're endeavoring to do um, with the support of the Minnesota Corn Growers Association is to develop online resources, uh, print resources, and educational programming to support farming communities and uh, producers in strengthening their resilience. And what we'll be doing over the coming year is um, a sequence of activities. First, we will be um, developing some online resources for a Climate Smart Agriculture Program, and we hope these will be very interactive and involve sort of scenario kinds of plans. So people who visit the online resources can choose, for instance, warmer, wetter climate conditions in a particular season or, you know, more drought-like conditions, for instance, and then um, learn some information about how those those conditions might impact different crops and how they might um, work to be more resilient. Um, we're also going to be holding an action planning workshop with a variety of agricultural stakeholders to really understand what climate challenges they are facing in the coming decades um, that they really find to be of the highest priority and um, which they would really desire us developing some education programming and online resources to help support. So the idea is to, over the course of this year, work with agricultural producers and businesses to really make sure we understand their priorities and that we're on target 
and then to start developing some online resources and then educational workshops to target those those kinds of challenges. Well, as I think about resources that might already be out there, one way that your project will will set itself apart, Nate, is that this is going to be completely fresh information. As you said, you're going to be working with farmers and the ag industry now to develop this. And so it's it's going to be immediate, it's going to be timely, and that's certainly valuable. Yeah, I think so. And and hopefully we'll also be um we'll be providing information that is applicable and relevant at the farm level. Um, so there are a few things that I think we're going to be doing that set our information apart. First of all, as I said before, we're going to be working with Minnesota's agricultural sector to make sure that we really understand their interests and their priorities, and we're going to target those priorities. Um, the second thing is that we are in the process of finalizing Minnesota's latest generation of climate projections, and we're actually taking global climate models and we're doing something called dynamical, dynamically downscaling them. So we're taking these big global models and pulling them down to about a three by three mile grid square radius. And we also want to make sure that access to those kinds of projections for how the, the changing climate is likely to impact landscapes across Minnesota will fold into these tools. And again, down to certainly the level of a farming community, for instance, or a farming region, as opposed to sort of taking statewide data or um, or even global climate projection data. So we'll be better equipped to look into the future with Minnesota farmers and be prepared. Um, and then finally, we, through our partnership, are really trying to develop uh, functional relationships with a lot of the other organizations that provide climate services to Minnesota's agricultural industry. So for instance, the USDA's um, Midwest Climate Hub or the Natural Resource Conservation Services, NRCS, um, you know, we want to work with those groups to also make sure that our information is leading all the way to resources that can support action. So we don't just, you know, leave you with an understanding of risks that you might be facing and that's it you're off on your own but we can hopefully help you connect with resources to support you in strengthening resilience to address those climate risks what does the timeline look like as far as when these materials will be available and where farmers can get their hands on them yeah that's a great question um so right now we have a site um, climate.umn.edu. And that is our online hub. It's online now. We also have um, space on a variety of social media channels. So if you're on Facebook, um, Twitter, or LinkedIn, you can find us at University of Minnesota Climate Adaptation Partnership. And those are great ways to start interacting with us now. Um, there's already a lot of information on climate.umn.edu about our changing climate in Minnesota that can be helpful um, for farming communities as well as access to a few different existing climate tools. Um, that being said, 
we are in the process of hiring a colleague who will work with Jamie right now and will really focus on this project. Um, and so within the next few months, I think we'll start to see uh, information coming online, um, you know, over the course of the summer. And then we will um, aim to, I think, hold the action planning workshop, you know, probably sometime after the harvest season, like we have to position it so it doesn't get in the way um, of farming operations, which of course will ramp up in late summer, but we'll, we'll work with uh, producers to figure that out. And then, um, and then we'll finalize the tool by, or the, um, the educational workshops. Um, we'll have those in operation and the interactive scenario planning tool will be online um, by the early part of next year when our project wraps up. Well, Jamie, let's bring you into the conversation and really start to unpack why a project like this has been identified. You look at climate change and its impact on corn farmers. How would you describe the impact? Yeah, thanks, Mark. That's a great question. Um, so my dad's actually a farmer, and so I hear a lot of his complaints when it comes to um, issues. Um, and we're seeing in Minnesota, kind of our broad overall trend is that we're getting warmer and wetter. Um, so there's been about a 13% increase in the heaviest rainfall of the year. Um, and the 10 wettest and warmest years on record have all been um, since about 1997. So that causes a lot of complications and challenges for farmers. One of the main concerns is um, flooding. So we've experienced a lot of issues with um, flooding and intense rainfall preventing farmers from getting into the field. Um, and it's really crucial that farmers are able to get um, out and start planting, you know, before <laughs> before their, that window closes. And so I think addressing some of those concerns related to intense rainfall are really important. But then on the other hand, even though we're getting wetter, um, we're getting warmer. Um, and that can cause a lot of really intense weather, including dry periods. So it's kind of balancing all these different needs. So I see these sorts of resources as being really important to address some of those risks and concerns and be proactive um, going forward. What steps are farmers taking now to reduce their exposure to climate change risks? What steps might they be taking, but they're, they're not doing it? Yeah, I think that there are a lot of steps that farmers can take. Um, one step that I always recommend is thinking kind of at a um, more ecological landscape level. I think that really helps. Um, another thing here in Minnesota related to flooding is are things like tiling. We've done a lot of tiling throughout Minnesota, um, so that might need to be updated. A cool um, project that I've seen is um, incorporating things like prairie strips into farms, um, which can be a little bit logistically challenging to get started with, but it has a lot of benefits and that can help with um, kind of preventing more runoff, that sort of thing. So there's a lot of really creative solutions. And um, I just like to emphasize too, that farmers have been really innovative for years and years and years. And so um, they're kind of some leaders, um, potential leaders in this field of climate change. Um, but yeah, we really hope to work together to help identify those risks and then provide resources to keep dealing with them. You know, just to add quickly to what uh, Jamie shared, I think, one of the things that we have discovered over the first year or so that we have been supported by the, the Corn Growers Association in, in beginning to develop this program is that um, 
there are some strategies to strengthen resilience that we think that producers can do fairly quickly, right? So there are things like maybe changing the variety of what you plant or, you know, maybe changing the placement that um, farmers already have a lot of capacity to sort of do on the fly if we can prepare them with enough climate information ahead of time that, you know, they can be intentional in making those changes. But um, there are also strategies like Jamie shared, like tiling and making sure that if you are replacing that um, agricultural water management infrastructure, that's where we want to help you look way ahead because those are, are investments that are incredibly substantial and last for decades. So I think part of what we'll be doing is um, better understanding and working with producers on, you know, both supporting their relatively rapid decision-making to stay resilient and thrive, but also understanding where they have some key decisions that we can help them look down the road and make sure that they're investing in ways that they, um, they can really stay viable and, um, and even stronger in their, their egg business capability. Right. These are substantial investments. And as far as resources that might help farmers with these costs at the state, federal level, how would uh, either or both of you um, describe the the current support that, that farmers have to deal with some of these climate challenges? I think we are in a period of remarkably historic growing support for strengthening climate resilience across different sectors, including agriculture. And so certainly at the federal level, um, you know, we look to our partners in the USDA and, and tools like the Farm Bill that can provide support. Um, you know, we also see historic funding in federal, um, federal groups like the NRCS to support climate smart farming activities. But then even at the state level, um, the Minnesota Department of Agriculture has their climate smart farming certification that they're trying out that, again, would provide some assistance for both planning and resources to support um, strategies to strengthen climate resilience. So um, I think those kinds of governmental supports we see coming in on the landscape to really be helpful to farmers. Um, as well as just a broadening consumer support for climate smart farming practices. Um, I had the pleasure many years ago now, um, it was probably around seven or eight years ago, of working in a, on a project down in Mankato, Minnesota, where a group of um, agricultural producers and community members were intentionally looking down the road to think about how they could uh, redesign their agricultural and community landscape to be more climate resilient. And one of the things that they were paying quite a bit of attention to is the changing consumer interests and preferences for um, what are considered to be climate smart products and, um, and therefore positioning themselves to be really marketable in that landscape as well. 
Yeah, I think that um, we're gradually moving into a time where there's more and more resources available um, for farmers. Um, and like Nate said, there's also a lot of just um, like social um, positivity and acceptance and um, push um, for kind of these more climate smart or climate ready actions um, on the part of farmers. Um, I think we'll probably in the next question, I think there's some barriers that we'll address too, but um, yeah, there's a lot more enthusiasm going in these days. And I also think that um, farmers are really starting to see some of those impacts um, of climate and severe weather. Um, and, um, and I think that's creating a lot of demand as well. Just people seeing that, not just farmers, but community members and everything like that as well. Well, let's go right into that, Jamie. As far as those barriers, obviously cost we've talked about, and maybe there's more to say, but what are some of those barriers? Yeah, for barriers. So I mentioned my dad, he's a small farmer. Um, so he pays, he rents the land. So he's already got a cost for that. Um, so there's, there's a lot of financial um, limitations and costs. And if you're renting the land, there's also some limitations on what you're able to do um, as far as implementing any sort of strategies. Another restriction is, um, you know, there's a lot of things in crop insurance, for example, that can be limiting when it comes to trying out different strategies. Um, if you want to be able to get um, your crop insurance, if something goes wrong, you're not always able to you know, experiment more, you have to stick with certain guidelines. And that can be really, really challenging because crop insurance is hugely important for um, for farmers. So that's one limitation that I know just right off the top of my head, um, some of that insurance related stuff that needs to really um, kind of expand and become more flexible so farmers can utilize it more effectively. You talked earlier about some of the, the changes to the climate that we're seeing in Minnesota. It's becoming wetter. It's also becoming warmer. And I know from talking with Bruce Potter with Extension that the pest pressure is a constant problem during the growing season. And as we think of some of those overwintering pests, what are the implications of warmer winters, Jamie? Yeah, that's a fantastic question. Um, so we're losing a lot of our sub-zero temperatures here in Minnesota if we're looking at a high emission scenario, um, less so under a lower emission scenario, but still still a really big concern. And those sub-zero temperatures are so important for knocking back pests and pathogen populations. Um, so by the end of the century, it's projected that we're likely to face about, uh, have about 10 degrees warmer winters. And that's just super concerning. So my dad's always battling pests when he's farming. Um, I have a lot of background in forestry and that has huge concerns for for trees and um, other plants that face pathogens. So yeah, that is a big concern. And then um, as you mentioned, as things get wetter, things like fungi, um, lots of different pathogens and diseases really thrive in those conditions. So that's another concern as well. You know, I would just say um, that we at the University of Minnesota Climate Adaptation Partnership take partnership seriously. That is central to our mission and central to the way we work. And uh, so we just hope that your podcast listeners will um, will visit climate.umn.edu and um, start seeing what resources we have available and stay tuned for opportunities to either participate in 
action planning with us or attend our educational workshops. But at any time, feel free to uh, shoot us an email or give us a call and talk with us about what is important to you. Because again, you know, we want to make sure that we are helping Minnesota's agricultural producers understand how climate change is likely to impact their operations and to, uh, to have the resources that they need in order to be prepared to continue thriving. And as we talk about partnerships, I'd, I'd like for both of you to talk briefly about the importance of, uh, of a commodity group like Minnesota Corn wanting to be essentially out in front on an issue like this and partnering with the university to get these materials into the hands of farmers. Yeah, you know, I will say from from my perspective as a director, it was incredibly, um, incredibly pivotal to the development of our program team. You know, we were uh, fortunate to get funding from the state of Minnesota to develop, as I said, you know, our our next generation of Minnesota's climate projections. But it was the Corn Growers Association that recognized the opportunity to draw those into educational resources and information for Minnesota's agricultural sector. We would not have been able to establish our extension capacity um, to support delivering that education without that that um, really incredible support. And then that actually, um, you know, that investment then helped us open up some other doors that enabled us to bring Jamie aboard. So we um, are just really appreciative that Minnesota's corn growers are taking the changing climate seriously and they want to be prepared and they're willing to invest in helping us support the industry in those efforts. Yeah, like Nate mentioned, I have a lot of gratitude personally to the Corn Growers Association because um, because of their help and support, I was able to um, join the MCAP team. And so um, get, I remember in my interviews getting to um, talk a little bit with some folks from the Corn Growers Association, and it was just wonderful to see that involvement. And I also think it sends a really great message to other farmers that, you know, Minnesota's really being proactive and looking ahead in one of these um, leading groups is kind of spearheading that as well and showing their support. So I think it's just so wonderful um, that what the Corn Growers Association is doing and that they're partnering with us. Um, they've been really wonderful to work with. And I think, yeah, like I said, it just sends a great message and they're really putting kind of their um, money where their mouth is, is what I'd say. They're, they're committed to this and to the well-being of farmers in the state of Minnesota. To learn more about projects supported by Minnesota Corn, visit mncorn.org.